Good morning. I extend the welcome uh, that Ryan has uh, to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We're glad to have you with us if you're visiting and I hope I get to meet you afterwards if uh, you you can hang around enough for that. We're going through the Apostles' Creed uh, line by line to study it, to root ourselves in this historic document, this confession of our faith in Jesus Christ that spans practically the whole course of the Christian church. And we say, we've come to this phrase, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And when we say I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we mean that I trust in the forgiveness of sins. We mean I live in the forgiveness of sins and live out the forgiveness of sins in my life. This is my map of reality as we have described this confession. The reality of the forgiveness of sins. But we will see, I think, maybe we know the great difficulty of this in our lives. But we want to explore what this looks like. We're going to look at the peace of this forgiveness, the joy of this forgiveness, the love of this forgiveness, the hope of this forgiveness. And ask ourselves, how are these things taking hold of our life? Because we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray as we get started. Oh Lord, we rest in you. We've just sung of the power of the cross, that we stand forgiven at the cross. And Lord, we pray that that great power of the cross will take hold of our lives all the more this morning as we explore the glorious implications of that cross for how we can live each day of our lives within the wonderful new world of forgiveness, the new landscape, the new atmosphere, uh, the new mansion of forgiveness out of which we can do all that you've given us to do. Bless us, Lord, to know the peace and joy and love and hope of forgiveness, that your name may be lifted up You who died on the cross to provide this forgiveness for your people. Amen. If you uh, are referring then to the sheet that we have, I've given these passages to you uh, for ease of communication that we can get through these and see them. But to take them home, to use them in your life, I hope uh, these handouts will be useful in that regard. And this first section, the peace and rest of forgiveness, I want to just point out the emphasis of of peace in the whole of God's salvation, beginning with the very announcement itself in Isaiah 52, as he speaks of the uh, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news or the one who brings good news, who publishes peace. This good news is good news of peace of wholeness in our relationship with God, of wholeness in our relationship with one another, of a sense of our being reconciled and being friends with God and living in his presence. 
And notice in Isaiah 53, as it describes the very death of Christ, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So he's pierced, crushed, chastised, going through this terrible, unimaginable suffering for the end result that you would know his peace and live in his peace. Colossians 1, the same thing. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, each of us and ultimately all of creation, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Do you see the very description of what Jesus was doing on the cross? In his suffering, consciously thinking, I am making peace. I am creating peace for the hearts of my people, for the fellowship of my my people, between me and my people. My people exuding that peace into this world and ultimately the whole world enjoying this peace. So much is peace a vital part of the announcement and accomplishment of salvation. And so Paul can say, having been justified by faith, and that's really just another word for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, So we're we're talking about that statement, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And it's being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just now noticed that the title I gave for my document ended up at the top of the page. (laughs) That is really cute. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Handout, does yours say that? And I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And you're thinking, okay, Darwin, I get it. It's a handout and it's about, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's why I paused just a minute when I was reading Romans 5. Like, okay, I'm stupid again. That's just, you know. But you notice this result of forgiveness, right? And, and, you, and you realize that it's the point of this justification. It's the point of forgiveness so that you might have this peace with God. He's accomplishing something in his death. And it is peace. And so the abundant pronouncements, all of uh, Paul's letters begin with this and most of the other letters with this uh, pronouncement of peace. But notice how rich and full these particular ones are from Second Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Or First Peter 1, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And second Peter, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the knowledge of God's desire to save you, God's desire to be at peace with you, God's great commitment through the death of his son to be reconciled to you so that you and he would have peace together. So. Peace at all times, in every way, in fullest measure, be multiplied to you. Do you think that the work of God has as its end in view your enjoyment of this peace? So that Paul can say in Colossians 3, let this peace rule your heart. 
That means ruling out a lot of other things. That means the dominant force in your life to create the atmosphere of your life, to create the whole matrix and basis and foundation for your thinking about life. Let this peace rule your hearts. You're called to this in one body, Colossians 3. And the Old Testament version, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. As you trust in his forgiveness, as you trust in the promise of forgiveness, you'll be kept in this holistic peace, this sense of well-being in the presence of God. So how willing is he for you to live in the assurance and peace of forgiveness, to believe in the reality of forgiveness? And so there's a phrase that Kay and I were talking about as we were driving yesterday, living in the presence of forgiveness, living in the presence, the reality of I am a forgiven human being before God, which means I'm living in the presence of favor. If there's full forgiveness, brothers and sisters, there's only favor. There's only the smile of God upon your life so that every aspect of your life is conditioned by being forgiven. Every aspect of your life is upheld and strengthened because you are forgiven. Every aspect of your life is comforted and sweetened because you are forgiven. You're encouraged and liberated by this forgiveness. You see, the whole point of the death of Christ is to bring you into the fellowship of God. And that fellowship is a fellowship of forgiveness. It's never to be far from your mind. Never to be distant from you that you are forgiven and that you are enjoying that, that this peace, this rest in his forgiveness is being multiplied to you. And to underscore just how central this is to God's purpose, I include this last passage in 1 Peter 1. He, speaking of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now, you you get what this means. This was the plan all along. This is the reason why the world was made. So that before the world was made, Jesus Christ was known and infinitely valued by the Father because he was the whole point of what the world would be, what Christ would do, how he would manifest the father's love and lay down his life for his people. This was on the heart of the father. Always (laughs) this magnificent shower of the mercy of God for sinners, the whole purpose of the creation of the world. That's how eager God is to forgive you. It's the reason we live on this earth as human beings. That we might come to know this God and to know him as sinners is to know him 
in his forgiveness and to know the peace of that forgiveness. The great purpose of our existence as human beings is to experience the mercy and kindness of God in the forgiveness of sins. So, how important to ask, how am I living in this peace? How is it governing my relationships? How is it governing the encounter I have with my circumstances? How is this peace from forgiveness controlling my life? But then we come to the joy and adoration of forgiveness. You see this laid out in Psalm 103, where David begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, calling every part of his being to praise and honor and adore God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits. What's the first one from which everything flows? Who forgives all your iniquities. You see, everything within me rejoice in this God who has forgiven all my iniquities. Never forget these great benefits and the towering benefit forgives all your iniquities. Healing all your diseases is perhaps even a subset of that or what flows from that. Redeeming your life from the pit. Every bit of this is a part of that forgiving iniquity. So it calls us to a whole life of joy, a whole life of adoration. And notice this is why, again, God has made the world and he forgives our sins for this reason. Notice what, what David says in Psalm 25, 11 there. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now, you'll notice there in Psalm 25 first that David does not say, forgive me, Lord. I didn't really mean to do it. And that's really not me. That's not That's not really who I am, right? He doesn't downplay it and say, I don't usually do that kind of thing, but I did and I need you to forgive me. You know, we sometimes come to God in prayer and give reasons why he should forgive us, right? Playing down how bad it is. He doesn't do that, does it? Pardon my guilt. Notice what's the reason? Because it's great. Forgive my guilt because it's so deep. It's lasted so long. It's hurt so many people. It's been in the face of so much grace. All the evil of my sin. Oh, pardon it. Because it is so great. The greatness of sin isn't a reason to run away. You know, to say, hey, if somebody had less sin, they could get more forgiveness. <laughs> if, if there's some circumstances you could blame, you know, of suffering or this or that or another thing for my sin, then that's more likely to get forgiveness. What are we thinking? Like we're bringing some uh, condition before God, some reason why it's not so bad. And maybe he'd forgive that if it's not so bad. What about exploring how deep and great and terrible and stinking our sin is? 
which is how I feel about mine. Oh, forgive it because it's so great. But notice, it's for your namesake. You are honored because you forgive great sin. Think of that. God planned the world to exalt his name by forgiving great sin. That's how he gets his glory. The whole point of planning the world so that God himself would come in the flesh and die on our behalf so that our sin could be taken away. So that then we could enjoy the forgiveness of sins was so that he would be honored for being such a great God. It's so, as Piper and others have said, that the greatness of God's mercy might become famous. I love that phrase. His mercy might become famous. And you can be another testimony of the famous mercy of God as you enjoy his forgiveness. God wants to magnify his mercy by forgiving David. He forgives us for his namesake. That's the great reality of his creating the world and making us in his image ultimately so that he would be great. Notice in Psalm 130 then, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Because our iniquities are great. No one could stand. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Feared here catches up the sense of awe, of trembling, of wonder and amazement and adoration and trust. Oh, what a God that there is forgiveness with you. You see, I believe in the forgiveness of sins means I'm in awe of this God who would forgive my great sin. You could see the same things there in Psalm 40, verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. And notice, many will see and be in awe and put their trust in the Lord. So, he forgives sin that we might be in awe of him and others hear the message of our redemption and they become in awe of this God who would forgive sin. That's the way the gospel goes forth. It's the awesome revelation of a God who will forgive sin, who came and died in the place of sinners so that they might experience his forgiveness. So the peace of forgiveness, the joy of forgiveness, and then the love and sacrifice of forgiveness. Here in Ephesians 4, notice how forgiveness and love are bound up together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as we experience God's forgiveness in Christ, we in turn are kind to one another and tender-hearted and forgive one another and walk in love as Christ has loved us. So that our fellowship with God is a fellowship of forgiveness. Our fellowship with each other is a fellowship of forgiveness. Our fellowship with each other is this mutual fellowship of the happiness and peace and joy of forgiveness. And the alternative to living in the presence of forgiveness is to live under judgment. You are under the judgment of God or under the judgment of yourself or others judging you or you're judging others. This kind of idea creates tremendous issues in our fellowship. It creates anxiety and jealousy and envy as I've got to compete with others because I feel like I'm under judgment, under examination. It causes us to be discontent and manipulative. It causes us to be angry and self-serving and impatient. It causes us to constantly be comparing one another and boasting before one another. Tim Keller in his short book on self-forgetfulness speaks of this, of how our ego become so inflated, but it's always in danger of being deflated. Or if your ego is deflated, then it's always the effort to try to inflate it. And our ego being inflated with everything but God is always painfully busy to fill itself with meaning. And so... We, in our regard for one another, are trying to fill ourselves from each other rather than pour ourselves into each other. We need to connect every experience and every conversation with ourselves so often. But there is this freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's not, as, as Keller says, Thinking more of yourself or less than yourself of yourself, it's to think about yourself less. Just to think about yourself less. I love Beth Midler's line in Beaches where she says, Enough about me, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? It's amazing how conversations are judged as to how much attention I get. What did that person think of me? How did I fit? Or I walk into a room and wonder who's thinking about me instead of forgetting myself and focusing on the needs of others. So that I'm seeking out the concerns and struggles of others. I'm welcoming the concerns and struggles of others. Their lives become these novels in which I become enwrapped. Amazing how we can read novels, but sometimes people aren't very great novels to us. 
to want to enter into their lives because we just forget ourselves. On our own, we spend every day in a courtroom of judgment, concerned about how others think about us, how they judge us, how they assess us, or we're assessing ourselves constantly. Am I measuring up? Am I measuring up? Trying to measure ourselves by society standards or some other society standards. And our only hope is to pass through God's judgment. That we are sinners in his sight into his forgiveness. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says, it's not your judgment of me. It's not even my judgment of me. It's God's judgment of me. And what is God's judgment of you if you believe in Christ? There is no condemnation for you in Christ. That's God's judgment of you. There is no condemnation for you. You don't have to be judged by others. You don't have to judge yourself. There is this liberating humility that you, sinner, are accepted and embraced. That you live in the presence of his forgiveness. And this frees you to pour yourself out gladly for others. And the happiness of being forgiven. You're out of the courtroom. You're out of the courtroom of judgment because you're in the presence of forgiveness. You've passed through God's judgment into forgiveness. And so, as Keller says, the only person whose opinion counts looks at me and finds me more valuable than all the jewels of the earth. Is that something of the... Well, let me say it differently. That can be something of the peace and the joy and the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. That you understand forgiveness in God counting you because you are joined to Christ and are hidden in Christ. And his righteousness is associated with you. His perfection is associated with you. That you are valued more than all the jewels of the earth. So the verdict is over. The courtroom is closed. You are declared without guilt and without condemnation. And so this smiling presence of God's forgiveness and favor. It's interesting when Paul speaks to the Athenians about God being near. Do you know what's really near for you? What is near It's the forgiveness of God that awaits you in Christ Jesus. The the pronouncement that there is no condemnation for you if you'll trust in Christ Jesus. That you can have the very presence of God and constant favor of God upon your life. And this is your strength and liberation to give yourself away to others. And I want to... There's so much in Scripture that that rightly talks about the love of Christ. As Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. Or as he says here in Ephesians, he loved us and gave himself for us. But the same love with which he died for you is the love that wants you to live in forgiveness. 
to experience this forgiveness? What would the point be of dying for you if you didn't experience daily the joy of being forgiven? So the love of Christ for you is not only the love that laid down his life, but it's the love that powerfully brings in the benefit of forgiveness into your life. And then, finally, there's this hope and endurance of forgiveness. There's the peace and the joy and the love of forgiveness and then the hope of forgiveness. Notice in 1 John, is this first verse is one we've talked about a lot, but we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now get the string here. We know and believe the love he has for us. This love, which of course includes forgiveness, that's the vital aspect of it, that he has died and taken away our sins, as John says earlier. This gives us confidence for the day of judgment. Do you ever feel different about God's kindness or maybe presence with you versus judgment day? You see, knowing and experiencing his forgiveness And his presence is to give you hope in Judgment Day. It's going to be wonderful in Judgment. It's going to be awesome. But I have no fear of Judgment Day. I have no fear of punishment. Because I'm already experiencing that I'm forgiven. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment for me. And there's no punishment now. There's no punishment then. That's when love is perfected. This when we truly believe this love that he has for us. This forgiveness that we know. And notice, we love because he first loved us. We love God and others when we so get the message of God's love, it takes away our fear of judgment. That really liberates you to love others. Because you have no fear of judgment. You connect his gracious love and his death to his love and forgiveness. And you connect all of this to his desire to do you good in the last day. Why would he not? He's doing you good now and experiencing his forgiveness. And so he will do you good forever and ever. We're living in the presence of his forgiveness now. It's just a taste of what we will live in forever and ever. And so it gives us further freedom to lose everything we have for the good of others. That brings us to the endurance of forgiveness. The comfort that love must have, the security and hope that upholds love. Love, notice as he, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 13, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is a difficult line, I think, to figure out. And if you take the outer two terms, love bears all things and endures all things. Put those together and then put the middle two terms, believes all things and hopes all things. 
So, basically it means there's nothing love cannot face. It puts up with everything. It continues in the face of anything. You see, it bears everything and it endures everything. It never ceases to believe in hope in God as it pours itself out for others. We can confidently lose our lives for his sake, knowing he will enable us to find our lives here and forever. And I quote Gordon Fee here. He says, love has a tenacity in the presence, buoyed or strengthened by its confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually pour itself out in behalf of others. Because I trust in God's forgiveness And the future that I have with him, love can just continually pour itself out for others. So you see, and you can fill in the blanks here, but let's just do a simple one. I can meet and begin a relationship with my unbelieving neighbor because I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I have the peace and the joy and the hope of that forgiveness And it enables me to endure and give myself away to others. Name your thing. What is it? Simple things like meeting someone new at church. Wouldn't it be wonderful as every visitor just could hardly get out the door because you're all so eager to meet them and know them, to welcome them. That will happen as you believe that you're forgiven of sin. You will become a more gracious and kind husband or wife or parent or brother or sister because you believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I would warn us all against rejecting or despising this mercy. It's like a person raised by an alcoholic parent and gravitating toward that same pain because... That's familiar. You see, it can be an excuse for devoting your life to yourself and not others to resist this forgiveness. Because this forgiveness claims your life. It claims you to a joy and freedom of giving yourself away because you know the forgiveness of sins. And this great power of the cross This is a sovereign God who will act on your behalf to cause you to experience this forgiveness. Cry out to him. If this seems distant to you, if this you struggle with, we all struggle with it in one way or another. But the power, as we sang, the power of the cross is to bring you to this point where you can live out this Happy forgiveness in your life, day in and day out. May God grant it for his glory. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the great fruit of the Spirit to bring about love and hope and peace and joy in our lives because of the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that you would even forgive us because We neglect our privilege. Pressures dominate our life more than your forgiveness. Circumstances dominate our life more than your forgiveness. Difficulties press all around us. 
And they crowd out the joy and the peace and the hope of your forgiveness. Lord, we pray that we will exalt you and exalt your purpose in the, in the world. You died so that your people would experience this freedom. Set us free from judging ourselves, judging others, living under judgment, Lord, and not the freedom of forgiveness. Enable us to see the great promise that you have announced, the forgiveness of sins for all who will trust in Jesus Christ, who has died to take away our sin, to be punished in our place so there would be no condemnation for us. Oh, Lord, we are weak. We tend toward unbelief on our own. We resist the happiness of forgiveness. Lord, by your mighty power, draw us after it that we may glorify your name. Amen.